for some chin music. Hey, Aunt, how about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves one, like this. We're looking for guys that know how to play the game, um, can beat you many different ways. Um, you know, we have to find ways to win baseball games when the bat's not there and when the homers are not there. And that means we got to play defense, we got to run the bases, um, we got to do other other things that are going to help us win baseball games. And um, we're on the hunt. We're on the hunt for that. And that's the style of baseball that we're going to play. And, and you know, moving forward, it's just not going to happen overnight. All right, that is uh, White Sox manager Pedro Grafal talking about the type and style of player he is looking for with the White Sox organization. Chuck Swirsky filling in for David Hall on Inside the Clubhouse, hour number two, with you until 11.30, then Cubs pregame as the Cubs take on the Yankees. 3 nothing winners the Cubs were last night, first win ever at Yankee Stadium. And uh, joining us, of course, is the legendary Bruce Levine. This is his baby, his show. And Bruce, what Pedro was saying, I think every manager says this, right? At the end of the day, you're looking for balance. You're looking for guys who can put the ball in play. But you got to have the big bopper in the lineup. Now, well, Chuck, I, I, I agree with your premise, but uh, you can't have five or six big boppers that hit uh, 220, strike out 200 times, and uh, hit 35 home runs, drive in 100. That is not what the general managers or the front offices or ownership is actually looking for right now. With the game and the new rules opening up the field again, Chuck, and again, uh, there's no shifting any longer in Major League Baseball. There are gaps that are open. Uh, Defense has to be played uh, by more athletic guys at second and shortstop again because of the fact they have more ground to cover. You need a different type of baseball athlete right now. You need an athlete that can hit, that can run, that can play defense, uh, that can have a baseball IQ. These are real real essentials to the player going forward. And what Grafal is talking about is a shift in the thinking of the Chicago White Sox. Certainly, they've always wanted these types of players, uh, but what they've drafted uh, both Uh, locally and internationally have been players that are toolsy guys that have power, okay? So when you have toolsy guys that have power and and you've traded for guys that are toolsy guys that have power, um, you're, you're, you're more looking for baseball athletes now, guys that can play the positions. Uh, Stolen base is more, um, uh, a big impact of the game this year. Stolen bases are up about 400% over the last 10 years this year. Um, You have to have players that can hit the ball the other way. Situational hitting, again, is essential. You have men on second base automatically in extra innings, Chuck, and people can't get the guy moved over to score a run. Yeah, because they can't bunt. Yeah, exactly. They're afraid (laughs) to ask somebody to bunt that can't, right? So... You always say, well, 
the manager is going to have this guy bunt here. But if it's Eloy Jimenez, okay, or if it's a uh, another big slugger of a certain point, uh, you're you're not going to ask him to bunt because they can't. Well, well why they, can't they, Bruce? Gonna, I think this is the point. Because why they're can't not taught they that in the minor leagues. Well, then who's, not, whose fault is that? The fault is is that they take two practice bunts before they take their batting practice in spring training or in BP in the minor leagues, and then they start swinging away, okay? Uh, more extensive training and signing and developing young players, it has to begin there, Chuck. Okay? Thank you, yes. It has to begin with the philosophy of, you know, with our number two through five pick, yeah, we took the big arm or the big bat, number one, two through five, two through ten in the draft. We're going to be drafting baseball players, guys uh, like Nico Horner, okay? When the Cubs drafted Nico Horner uh, five years ago, they caught a lot of uh, flack, okay? When the White Sox drafted Nick Madrigal with the number four pick uh, five years ago, they caught a lot of flack. And the reason was is that we were right in the midst of the uh, home run swing type player being drafted. Uh, we were also in a midst where the ball was livelier and we were watching ball sail out at record paces. That's how offenses were built around slug and OPS. The more modern general manager now uh, the, the way the White Sox and Grafal describe it, they're looking for baseball athletes, guys that can hit the ball the other way like they did last night, guys that can get on base for, as you mentioned, Chuck, that big bopper, that one or two guys, uh, maybe three in the lineup that can hit the ball out. But you have to be able to set the table. You have to be able to steal bases. More importantly, you have to be able to run from first to third or excuse me, second to home. You have to be able to do the little things again in baseball. Baseball is going to be a better game for it. We are just starting to merge into that area of philosophical changes at the top of Major League Baseball teams in order to allow themselves to draft the Nico Horners and the Nick Madrigals more often, number one. Yeah, Uh, well, you know what team does that? On, on a repeated basis now, and because they got bailed out because they were horrible and they put together a string of great drafts, that's Baltimore. You look at these young kids, the way they run the bases and how they're taught at the minor leagues. You know, I grew up as a fan of the Orioles because I loved the Oriole way under you know, Harry Dalton at one point was with Baltimore. Hank Peters was with Baltimore, right. the people who put together that franchise. And then you had, whether it was Earl Weaver managing, you know, he, he, people think that Earl Weaver was some kind of like, well, where'd he come from? He was in their farm system. If you look at whether it was Elmira, Rochester, then he becomes a coach under Hank Bauer in the late 60s. And then all of a sudden the Orioles put it together. Every one of those Baltimore players during that era, and they had a great run, as Oakland did, winning three straight championships. And the same thing with the Yankees run. Fundamentally, they were all sound, Bruce. I mean, they came up, they were ready to play at the major league level, period. Well, it began with pitching and defense, Chuck. 
that was a that was the demand and that is the number one thing you have to do in order to support a a very good team you have to be able to throw the ball you have to be able to catch it all of those baltimore teams that you mentioned and, and that even going back before you watched baltimore baseball uh, under uh, Paul Richards, who was the original manager with the Orioles back in uh, the uh, 50s and 60s, <clears throat> they stressed young pitching and defense and that we'll, we'll get enough offense along the way, but we're going to make sure uh, that we defend very well, that we have strikeout pitchers with good arms so the ball doesn't go in play that often. And <clears throat> we are slowly getting back to that era of pitching defense and drafting players that can do uh, four things really well, not necessarily just the fifth, which is hit the ball out of the ballpark. And uh, it's going to be a better era for baseball. Uh, baseball will be better for it. And I, I think that we're starting to move that direction right now. I also think, Bruce, because the rules are in place now to bring in athletic highly skilled people to play the game. I think it's going to attract more young people to say, you know what? I've got options now. I know I'm a good athlete. Maybe I can play wide receiver, defensive back. Maybe I can play guard. Maybe I can play at a high level D1. Maybe I'll be you know, drafted by an NBA team or NFL. Maybe I can play in Europe, whatever the case may be for basketball. Maybe they'll say, you know what? I like baseball. I like the rules. I like these players with their individualistic, you know, widespread glow of entertainment that, you know, the the home run trot or when they make a catch. I mean, I've seen so many wonderful catches and you know what batters are doing now? They're taking off their hat. They're, they're taking off their hat and they're tipping it to the player who makes it. I have no problem with that. That shows a sign of respect. You know, I mean, what was, what was more exciting than three years ago? watching Tim Anderson uh, express himself as a young player in Major League Baseball, not being afraid to go against the the rules of the game, the unwritten rules of the game, whatever they are, Chuck. Uh, He didn't believe in it. He believed in expressing his joy, his fun of the game, uh, in your face against the opponents. And he backed it up, which you have to do. Excuse me, Chuck. What you have to do is be able to back it up, and he backed it up by hitting 300, leading the league in hitting a couple years, uh, being one of the top young players in the game. It's not the same player right now. He's, he's, he's trying to find that once again. But my, the, the point is, Chuck, um, being able to promote the game of baseball is where it's at, and it's athletes. Major League Baseball and its ownership have been way behind because of its fights with the Players Association in promoting their own players. They have thought many times promoting their own players means that they will, it will cost them an extra 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars when they negotiate with that player, when they become arbitration eligible, when they become free agents. The system of baseball is so different that Major League Baseball is just getting around to promoting the stars of the game the way they need to. And as you said, to your point, Chuck, the reality is young people 
want to start watching baseball, want to start watching exciting athletes, but you have to promote that in order to get them to play the game. Yeah, and, and that's why, Bruce, I'm a huge proponent of letting players be players, okay? I mean, you make a great catch or you hit a home run or, in my opinion, the most exciting play in baseball is a triple. It really is. That's my opinion. Why? Because, number one, the ball was hit in the gap or something happened in the playing field. Maybe someone mishandled the ball, whatever, and this guy is running as a jet from home plate to third, and the crowd is in on every play of the base when he goes from first or second, and you hear the anticipation of second to third, Bruce, when that player has turned second, going to third, and next time, Bruce, you're at the ballpark. You're at every ballpark known to mankind. Listen to the crowd when that player is going into third base and the, and the ball is being thrown to the bag to see whether or not he makes it. And the type of reception that player earns and deserves when he's safe at third base. I think it's the most exciting play in baseball. Well, you're right, Chuck. And, and again, speed in the game is starting to become relevant again. No general manager, no manager wanted to lose guys on the bases when they had three, four, five guys coming up next that could hit the ball out of the ballpark. Okay, they weren't looking to score one run at a time. They weren't looking to have a two, three, four-run rally with guys hitting singles and doubles. They were looking for the three-run homer. They were looking for the slug. Uh, That is changing, and I think Major League Baseball fans are starting to respond to that, okay? That is what they would like to watch. Major League Baseball games have have become so tedious with walk, strikeout, and home run being uh, 50% of the game. Okay, walk, strikeout, home run. What is similar about that? There's no action from players or anybody else in any of those, okay? There's no movement by anybody on the field on a home run, on a walk, or a strikeout. So getting away from those three determined events that were dominating baseball is what baseball is trying to do right now. All right, uh, inside the clubhouse featuring Bruce Levine, this Chuck Swirsky, Sean Sears, getting it done across the glass from us. And um, if you don't mind, Bruce, can we take a call from Glencoe? Mike has joined us sure, on 670 The Score. Michael, good morning. Let's talk some baseball. What's on your mind? Well, well Chuck, it's great that you're on the call uh, on the, this morning as well because my issue kind of relates to both of your experience. Um, uh, Bob Nightingale, and you say what you will about him, had a very interesting long interview with Chuck Garfine earlier in the week, and he made the point, which I think resonates with a lot of Sox fans, which is that the Sox are essentially a losing organization. And, and Chuck, this is what it relates to, to you. He made the point that no one wants to come to the White Sox. They want to leave. Everybody gets better when they leave the White Sox, but they don't get better when they come to the White Sox. And it reminds me very much about what used to be said about the Bulls, that the Bulls couldn't attract any free agents because of the culture, and they didn't want to go there. And so my question is, there's some kind of trait in a Reinsdorf-owned team. Uh, it's a terrible culture on the south side. You see it in the dugout. You see it in the arrogance of the of the uh, front office. You see it, unfortunately and respectfully, in the in the, air, in the condescendence of Mr. Grafal. 
is there just some kind of connection because of the same group owns both teams? I'd very much be interested in your thoughts. Okay, well, Bruce, around the ball clubs, I am not. Uh, so I can't comment on, on baseball. So, Bruce, let's talk about uh, the perception of what's going on with the White Sox, not only from a national scope, but also the fan base here. Well, look, Chuck, uh, if, you, if you sit down and talk to Jerry Reinsdorf, who's a close friend of yours, or if I talk to Jerry, who's a, a, a friend of mine, he would tell you that there's no one more disappointed in the organization or the result of what's on the field than him, okay, right now, okay? There's no bigger fan of the Chicago White Sox than Jerry Reinsdorf. I will tell you that as well. That said, he's a businessman. He has a general manager. He has a vice president of baseball operations, Ken Williams. The general manager is Rick Hahn. Uh, They work together uh, as a team, Uh, the three front office guys. They have assistant general managers that are uh, very good and smart, a very good uh, metrics department. But from a results point of view, there's no one more disappointed than Jerry Reinsdorf as to what's going on on the field. Is he going to sit on his hands and do nothing, which is some of the perception out there? Absolutely not. You're going to see that the the White Sox are going to be active at the trading deadline. You might see him start making trades as early as next week during the All-Star uh, game. Uh, they will not sit still and watch this product uh, vacillate and not get anything done. Now, are they going to blow it all up? Are they just going to trade players just to placate uh, fans and to just move on from everybody they have? No. They will be stealth. They will look for trades that will make them better instantly, that will make them better down the road. That is the job of Rick Hahn. That's the job of Ken Williams to make this team better. What they have right now, uh, it hasn't worked. Some of it was due to injury last year. Some of it, again, is due to injury this year with Mankata missing good portions, with Anderson not being uh, physically able and, uh, in some cases, uh, emotionally able to do uh, the things that he'd done in the past. So uh, they will be working hard to make sure that White Sox baseball is a more watchable, a more a vibrant, and a, and a winning team going down the road. Is it going to happen today or tomorrow? Maybe not. But I, I can guarantee you they won't be sitting still on what's been going on at 35th and Vec Drive. Yep. Well said, Bruce. Thank you. And let me just say this, because, Bruce, we, we talked about this a couple days ago when I was filling in about the White Sox. And, again, I'm just John Doe fan, okay? I have no connection with the White Sox. I just watch games on TV, and I go to the ballpark as a fan, and I sit there with a hot dog and a beverage. That's it, okay? And when I watch the ball club, I am so disappointed because I thought they were going to be better, a lot better. And – there are two, in, in my opinion, just my opinion as a fan, okay, Robert, definitely a keeper, off the market. I don't care, off the market, off the market, and cease. I know he's been inconsistent, Bruce, off the market. I'm not trading him, okay? Rest of the players, I told you the other day, remember when Roland Heeman, when Vec bought the ball club, Roland right. Heeman put that sign up and opened for business at the winter baseball right. meetings? Right. And, and to me, you're open. Yep. If you're the White Sox, you're open for business. 
there's one there's some subtle things to that chuck we're gonna have to take a break here real quick but the subtle things to that is you're open for business but when you're trading players who have been disappointing you don't want to always trade from weakness you don't want to always understand your value is down okay? but you have to listen though right bruce you know, of course you're going to listen and of course you're going to make moves but they're, they're going to be moves that make sense for the white Sox going forward if you don't trust Mr. Reinsdorf, if you, don't, if you don't trust Rick Hahn, if you don't trust Ken Williams, okay, I get it. They're the people that are in charge now. They're the people that are going to make the moves. We'll see how the franchise shakes out after this year. But for this trading deadline, those are the people that are going to make it. Uh, give them an opportunity to do it. It's obviously not worked out now. Uh, in the future, uh, they have a chance to uh, change some things around, bring in some different players. All right, very good. All right, so you're listening to Inside the Clubhouse, Chuck Swirsky for David Hall, featuring the great Bruce Levine, and Bruce is here every Saturday on 670 The Score. And again, Cubs baseball pregame coverage, 1130 right here on the home of the Cubs, 670 The Score. We'll return in just a moment right here on Inside the Clubhouse. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Hall. Bader hitting 264, former Cardinal. He grew up in New York, so he was thrilled to come back home after he was traded. He's not thrilled right now because he just took called third strike. Bullseye by Tyone. Fastball hit the outside edge. That's strikeout number two for Jamison Tyone. Jamison Tyone was the story last night. Can we? Can you play that? York, just bring up Sinatra New for a second. New York. And welcome back inside the clubhouse. Filling in for David Hall, Chuck Swirsky, with the great Bruce Levine. Bruce, how many times have you been to Yankee Stadium? Oh, I don't know. You know, 50, 60 times at least. I I, uh, I had the pleasure of covering um, uh, many World Series games there from 1996 through their... uh, their peak in 2003. Uh, I, I think I covered every World Series there, and uh, I remember one in particular <clears throat> in 2003, where uh, the uh, Marlins defeated the Yankees in six games, and I'm standing <clears throat> in the uh, winners' dugout afterwards, giving uh, Ozzie Guillen, the third base coach of the Miami Marlins, a big hug after they won the World Series. And him telling me, Bruce, I'm getting an interview with the White Sox, okay? I'm going to get an interview this year with the White Sox, okay? I know I am. I'm going to get an interview to manage that team. And uh, sure enough, Ken Williams interviews Ozzie in that offseason. Ozzie takes over in 2004. They win a World Series in 2005. Uh, Ozzie was right on top of where it was at, where he wanted to go what they wanted to do. And and to Ken Williams' credit, who wasn't really even considering Ozzy as a manager, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf said, you know, as a courtesy, please interview Ozzy. Ken came out of that interview with Ozzy blown away by the acumen and the uh, intelligence that Ozzy portrayed and had after being a coach, after his playing career. And uh, Chicago White Sox history was changed after that. Yeah, because didn't it come down to Cito Gaston and and Ozzie Guillen for that job, right. Bruce? Right. And Cito, Cito had won back-to-back. Back. 
you know, World Series with the Blue Jays. Right. Cito was the favorite going in. Uh, that was somebody that, uh, you know, Kenny had played for uh, in Toronto, had great respect for. Cito was a terrific manager with Tor- Toronto. But Ozzy uh, not only helped Kenny change things around, but he, he said he came in and, and they, had, uh, they had guys like uh, Carlos Lee. They had guys like... Um, 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 Frank Thomas. They had other sluggers. They had uh, Jose Valentin on the team. And Ozzie convinced Kenny that uh, the 2004 team had really great players on it, but they weren't the type of players that were going to help the White Sox win. And what, what occurred after that was that Kenny went out and made a huge trade at the winter meetings. I was sitting right the, there with him and Jerry Reinsdorf when this was this trade was made in Anaheim uh, back in the uh, winter meetings of 2004, and they traded Carlos Lee for Scott Pitsednik. Okay, most Sox fans had not heard much of Scott Pitsednik. He'd only been with the Milwaukee Brewers for a couple of years. But what what Ozzy and Kenny talked about was getting a more athletic player, a, a leadoff man that could get on base, that could do some things, that could steal some bases. Uh, that could add some different uh, elements to the offense. And, and that, that trade alone changed the entire uh, chemistry, the entire element of what the Chicago White Sox offense was in 2005 when they took a huge lead in the first half and never looked back except for blowing about 14-game lead and ending up with a game and a half before ending up winning the thing. My point was uh, this was... Uh, something that they did then, and it's something, Chuck, that the White Sox might be doing now, again, looking for more baseball players, as we talked about in our last segment. Yeah, and if Ozzy's listening, by the way, Ozzy, I love you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you talked about the 2003 season where the Marlins won the World Series in your conversation with Ozzy. I think Ozzy actually played a large role in Miguel Cabrera because... He, I think Ozzy told the Marlins or told Cabrera, you got to make the transition from short to third. And Cabrera was only 20 years young in 2003, Bruce, when they won the World Series. And then, of course, as we know, Dombrowski makes a, a major, major trade. They're looking to move the salary with the Marlins. He goes to Detroit. I know he's been banged up the last several years. It's an understatement, but he's headed to the Hall of Fame. One of the greatest players in our era of baseball, Bruce Levine, has been Miguel Cabrera. People, uh, you know, maybe it's because Detroit's been Detroit of late. I hope people appreciate the career this man had. He's a first ballot Hall of Fame player, period. Yeah, well, no no question. 500 homers, 3,000 hits, impactful championship teams. But uh, Ozzy did have a huge impact on him as a youngster, and they retained their friendship uh, throughout uh, the last 20 years where Cabrera has made baseball history. Um, Ozzy's had a tremendous impact on a lot of players, okay? So um, uh, he, uh, he is still a very resourceful, very uh, meaningful guy in Major League Baseball uh, doing pre and post for the White Sox right now. But there's still managerial talent, there's still leadership in, in Ozzie Gein, I guarantee you that. Well, yeah, you know what, Bruce, again, I, w- I want to make sure that people understand this. 
I I just watch games. I'm a fan, okay? And, you know, I, I watch the post game, and Ozzy can be very raw, very open, very honest, and I know the fan base loves it. And, you know, he questions players, he questions the manager, and I'm just wondering whether or not because of his, he's very outspoken, and I appreciate the transparency, is this going to come back to hurt him for managerial opportunities or for even getting an interview with another team? Uh, it has, it does, and it, it doesn't matter because Ozzy's not going to change. Ozzy has changed uh, in his philosophy about uh, handling players right now, I think. What do you mean uh, by that, Bruce? Go into detail about that. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is the modern player is a little different. Uh, Ozzy uh, had a, a way of dealing with players that is, is different. He will, he, will, he will be your best friend. He will be your worst enemy. What do I mean by that? If you play the game the right way and you do everything you're supposed to do on the field, he's your best friend. If you are not paying attention, you're missing signs, you're not taking the extra base, okay? You're not hitting the ball the other way if you're that type of player, you will find yourself a place on a bench, okay? That is Ozzy. Ozzy Guillen, probably the, the best guy I've ever seen dealing with baseball families, uh, kids from other players and uh, wives of players, uh, just terrific, but he is a no-nonsense guy when it comes to playing the game, okay? If you're not ready to play, if you're not practicing right, you're not playing right, you're not going to be Ozzy Guillen's type of guy. So from, from a philosophical point of view, that's not going to change. Does he know players are different now? Does he know they have to be talked to differently? Yeah, we, we know that millennial, millennial players are different Things have to be explained to them in many different ways sometimes for them to understand it and feel good about themselves. That's the world we live in, Chuck, okay? It doesn't matter who you are. You have to be a better communicator with people to, uh, for them to understand where you're coming from because they, this group of young people and middle-aged young people right now, they want to know where they stand all the time. There's no... More just go and do your job, or right. else you're going to go to and, the And I release. buy that. And I don't think, I don't think age should have a barrier on that. Whether it's no. our generation, whether it's the generation behind us, or the generation behind them, just be honest. Communicate with me. Tell you how I feel, and boom, let's let's move on. And I agree with you. Uh, since I, I do, I have thirty seconds, Bruce, and then we'll you take do. the break. You have, you Let have me just say seconds. this. Uh, the respect I have for people that run organizations, it's just not black and white. I've had to learn there's a lot of gray in, in not only in life, but when you come to make decisions that we aren't aware of, you know? We, we do not sit in the front office of the Sox, of the Cubs. We have no idea what Kenny Williams, along with Rick Hond, are thinking or what Jed Hoyer is doing with the Cubs. We don't. We're just fans on the outside. Now, there are some insiders who may know a little bit more than John Doe fan like me, Joe Bag of Donuts. The, the two individuals that I can honestly say in all my years of covering sports that were brilliant, absolutely brilliant, uh, Doug Collins, one of the finest as far as the intelligence 
of a basketball mind I've ever been around, period. The other is Steve Stone. I think Steve Stone is perhaps the smartest individual I have ever been around regarding baseball. And I'm talking about not only the nuances of the game, I'm talking about the game itself. And, you know, I know he loves the job, and I know, you know, he's at a point in his career where he really relishes being in that booth. But, Bruce, I think the man is brilliant. Well, Chuck, I'm I'm heartbroken that you didn't include me in well, that I'll, group. Well, you know what I and mean. I'm, and, no, I, I'm, I'm just teasing you, Chuck. I, I agree with you. I had the great pleasure of uh, dealing with Chuck on uh, – uh, with I'm, I'm sorry, with uh, Doug Collins as the coach of the Bulls, covering uh, those teams that he coached with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, you can't find a better communicator. You can't find a, a better mind. I agree with you on Steve. He's been brilliant. Uh, he's he's still one of the few people that can tell you what's going to happen uh, in, with the next at bat or next pitch, and nine times out of ten, it's going to be correct. Uh, they are they are brilliant guys, and, and I agree with you. But uh, you know, moving forward, Chuck, uh, we need uh, more people like that in the games because you're right. Uh, when I said it's just millennials, it's not. The m- millennials' way isn't wrong. Okay, it is right for people to be able to communicate on more than just one level of I'm the manager and you just do it or you're going to the minor leagues. We live in a world now where people deserve to and expect to be have things explained to them as to why things are happening. And we do. And we're a better world for it. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, I mean, the, this is 2023. The days of a Vern Rapp who managed back 30 <laughs> years, that is gone. You know, I said it my way or else you're going to be sent to Springfield. All right. We're going to take a break. Chuck Swirsky, Bruce Levine, Sean Sears. We're having a great time, folks, talking baseball. You got to love baseball. In a moment, uh, we've got one of the segments coming up. Should he stay or should he go? And hopefully you're not talking about the Swirsk with the Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be going around 1125, Chuck. I hope so. God willing. I love my job. All right, Bruce Levine, baseball historian, communicator, host, reporter, and this is 670 The Score. Who should stay and who should go? Should I stay or should I go now? With Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. That's man aboard. First pitch swinging. Drives it to right. Springer goes back and that ball is gone! You called it. Alloy delivered. He took it off the end of the bat. Kikuchi gives up a lot of home runs, and Eloy took it the opposite way and puts the Sox on top 3-1. to one. Monaco filling in for Jason Benetti on White Sox TV. Mike is an up-and-coming superstar in our industry. Does such a great job in multiple sports platforms on ESPN and the Red Sox Baseball Network. And, of course, Steve Stone one day will be in the Hall of Fame in the uh, Ford Frick wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And again, we're talking about Eloy Jimenez. Should he stay Bruce Levine or should he go? Your thoughts? Well, uh, for the good of uh, Eloy Jimenez, the White Sox, and maybe the Miami Marlins, uh, 
I would say this would be a, a very good time to seriously consider trading Eloy Jimenez to a team that could have a chance to win a World Series this year, the Miami Marlins, who uh, have had, Chuck, for the last four years, some of the best, most dominant pitching in baseball in zero offense. This year, they're starting to emerge with their offense, and the pitching stays to be the most consistent, if not the best, uh, in Major League Baseball, both in the uh, bullpen and in the starting staff. So they have pitching to trade, Chuck. They have young pitching to trade. Kim Ng is putting together a team now that's going to be competitive for the next three, four, or five years when they have that young pitching. They can afford to move some pitching. Eli Jimenez has a contract for next year that's $13 million for 2024. After that, it's a club option that he signed to for 25 and 26 for 16 million and 18 million. I said a club option, meaning the club, whoever it might be, the Sox or the Marlins, wherever Eloy is playing at that time, can say no. So the commitment is only 13 million for 2024 if the Marlins are trading for him. That is a very modest amount of money for a guy that can hit 40 and drive in 120. I know some Sox fans are driving off the road and saying, Chuck, Bruce, how can you trade a guy with that type of home run ability, RBI ability? Well, the reality is is that uh, Eloy has had a hard time staying on the field. Uh, he has really only one position that they want to put him at, which is DH. He's tried hard. He's worked hard at playing the outfield, but Injuries have occurred many times, uh, often, for Eloy. So this might be the very best time to get optimum amount from a team that needs another slugger to help them fortify their chances to win a World Series in Miami by getting some young players for Eloy Jimenez. Bruce, he has played in 57 of the White Sox 90 games. And I think when you analyze his play, and I agree with you as far as what he brings a ball club. But I do have concerns that he has not been able to sustain a healthy season. Um, and, and so I think that would affect the trade value, correct? Uh, it would. It's something that the other teams would look at. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the, the uh, ascension toward DH is more recent, Chuck. Okay? Till now... They've been mostly trying to put him in left field, right field uh, recently as well. But in, if he went to the Marlins, he would be a DH. He and Jorge Soler might platoon in the outfield. But uh, in order to have that type of slug in the middle of a, a dynamic offense that the Marlins could portray with a trade for Jimenez, they would probably DH him and put Soler in left field. That would be the type of offense, that would be the type of slug that could take Miami's chances to another level, okay? Uh, from the White Sox point of view, they have some slug. They have Berger. Uh, you know, they they have Vaughn. They have Robert, who is going to be likely a 50 home run hitter this year. There's enough slug in that lineup that they can trade a slugger like Jimenez for some really good young pitching. 
Uh, is this something that they're talking about? I do know the Marlins have interest. From my, from my scouting sources, they have informed me that the Marlins are definitely interested in talking about Eloy Jimenez with the White Sox. Mm. Well, it uh, will be a, seriously interesting as this unfolds in terms of uh, whether he stays or whether he goes. Bruce, you have been around this game for a long, long time and know so many GMs. So take us through the process of a trade. And why do teams always wait until the 11th hour, other than the obvious that they're trying to see just how much they can get a value and they play team against team, and then they say, well, now we're not going to trade them, and then they get a call an hour before the trade deadline. But, I mean, take us through the trade process involving a guy like Jimenez and what teams may be discussing in terms of prospects or an everyday player, and what goes through the mindset of a Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and a Jerry Reinsdorf when you start shopping players? Well, it, it's exactly what you said. You, you play chicken with the other general manager, and you, you, the player that you've been holding out for, the young player, the John Smoltz or the Fred McGriff or the guys that were young guys that were thrown into trades that people had never heard of that became Hall of Famers, those are the guys that uh, general managers hold out for, that young talent that they see from their scouts that are at single A or double A, and they hold out for those players. <clears throat> As an example with Jimenez, the trade for Jimenez and uh, Cease with the Cubs for Jose Quintana in 2017, well, that, that trade was originally going to be um, <clears throat> Jimenez for Quintana, okay? But give Rick Hahn, give Ken Williams all the credit in the world. They forced the Cubs into putting Dylan Cease into that trade. Dylan Cease at the time was an injured pitcher in the Cub organization that had talent but hadn't really accomplished much. They said no trade without Dylan Cease. The Cubs waited to the last minute, and they said we have to have Quintana to continue to contend and win a division this year. Uh, they were able to move on and win that division. Quintana helped them for the next few years, but most people look at this trade as a highway robbery for the Chicago White Sox, who had a uh, runner-up for the Cy Young last year in Dylan Cease, and a guy that uh, has hit 40 home runs in the major leagues in, uh, in uh, uh, Jimenez. So that is how trades are made. You wait to the last minute to make sure the other team really wants to make that trade, and uh, you are not forced to do it. Uh, in th that particular moment, it worked out very well for the Chicago White Sox. I love the history of baseball. So you mentioned John Smoltz coming from the state of Michigan, grew up a Tigers fan, okay? Right. doesn't matter if you're on the west side of the state in Grand Rapids or the upper portion of the state or the Detroit area. They love their Tigers because they would listen to the radio and Ernie Harwell, in my opinion. Ernie was Tigers baseball. So in 1987, Tigers are making a run, and they trade for Doyle Alexander, veteran major league pitcher had seen time with the Dodgers and the Orioles and the Yankees and the Rangers and the Braves. and the, I mean, he had been everywhere. But they identified him. Jim Campbell said, this is the guy I need. So they make a trade, and they get 
uh, Doyle Alexander, and they from the Braves for John Smoltz. No one knew who John Smoltz was. They knew who Doyle Alexander was, and Alexander in the regular season, Bruce, went 9-0. and 9-0. and I mean, and people are saying, what a pickup. The following year has a good season, and then decides, okay, I've had enough. I'm at a baseball. And now you know the rest of the story with John Smoltz, who's a Hall of Fame pitcher. So no one knows how this is going to play out. You trade for a prospect, maybe he becomes a John Smoltz. Maybe he becomes a John Doe. And that's why you have to have really good talent evaluators. And you know one thing that after talking with Smoltz over the years when I was doing the Cubs pregame shows on the network, in interviewing John Smoltz, you know what I learned about him, Bruce? He loved the game. I want people who love the sport, not like the sport. I want to draft people who love the game. When I go to the gym with the Bulls, I want to see players who love basketball, like you love baseball, Bruce. I mean, you're at all these games. You're at the park. You're talking with GMs and managers and players. You've been doing this a while. The battery is still moving. The needle is going crazy because you love the sport. And I want players who love the sport. Chuck, you're uh, absolutely right. And uh, one of those players is uh, Michael Kopech of the Chicago White Sox. We're hoping to talk to him in our last half hour. 11.25, we break and we go to Cub Baseball, pregame with Zach Zaidman, then Pat and Ron with the call of Cubs and Yankees. And Chuck, it's been a pleasure doing this show with you. We're going to take a break right now and be back for more on Inside the Clubhouse. 